What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. Paul is writing from prison. And he's in prison because of his faith in Jesus. He's writing to a group of believers who are gathering in the town of Ephesus. The apostle reminds them of the blessings of being in Christ or with Christ. We have been in this series now for a few weeks and tried to share with you, I guess, the heart that Paul has for who God is and desires deeply, even though the church at Ephesus was such a mature church, wanted them to even know more of Paul's God. He thanks God for the Ephesians' strong faith and their love for others. And then in the very first chapter, he prays. He prays that they would grow in their intimacy. They already know God. They've already trusted God. They've recognized that Jesus came to die on a cross to pay the penalty for their sin And many of them are children of God as a result of their faith. But he knows that just like in any other relationship, intimacy grows as you spend time with God. As you listen to him, your eyes are opened and his unbelievable majesty begins to come clearer into focus. 
He also prayed that they would grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that God has for his followers. And lastly, he prayed that they would experience God's endless strength and boundless energy. Not again that none of that was happening, but Paul understood so clearly that life with Jesus is so much better. He didn't want the Ephesian Christians just to settle. He didn't want them just to, well, exist. He wanted them to experience the full and meaningful and abundant life. Later on in the first chapter, he proclaims that Jesus is the head and that the church is the body. Well, for us, We've heard that metaphor often and and probably didn't shock us. But back there, whoa, what are you talking about? And then Paul even says this, that God's plan literally benefits the church. It is a good thing that Jesus is the head. Because Jesus makes the body complete and whole. It is the body of Christ who fills every nook and cranny of our world. Paul is one who has experienced God's grace and has been transformed by God's grace. So many of you remember his history. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law well. He was educated in the greatest of all circles. He had a following and was making great advances in his field. And then one day, on the way to Damascus, thinking he was doing what was right, he met God. (laughs) It changed everything. It changed his whole life, and the transformation began to happen just like it happens with you and with me. Some of us met Jesus when we were four or five years old. Some of us have just recently met Jesus, but whenever Jesus becomes part of our lives, things begin to change. And so Paul was so grateful, so in love with God, that he continually talked about God's grace. And we're going to talk a lot about God's grace today. But I'm going to try to use a definition. A definition that will be helpful as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Grace is receiving something that we just do not deserve. Now, I'm going to stop right there because sometimes people maybe even some right in here today, struggle with grace and mercy. We love to be self-made men and women. We don't like to be dependent on anyone. And any time our dependence, well, our, our independence is taken away, we struggle. But grace, grace is given to folks who do not deserve it. No matter who you are, no matter how good of a life that you've lived, 
And mercy is not receiving something we deserve. You see, Paul literally sees life through grace spectacles. Grace is the basis for everything God has done for us. Now let me just remind you why Paul was so very, very, very excited about grace. Why he was so absolutely overwhelmed. But before I do, I just want to warn you. The message today, the message today has a tendency to bore you. Let me explain. It's sometimes like Christmas or Easter. When you get a little bit older, oh, okay, Christmas is coming around. And by the way, it is. How many Christmases have you enjoyed? I mean, are we going to go through this again? And you go through it, and, and you even read the Christmas story, and some of us forget the wonder of Christmas. And so some of the prayer is, whether it's Christmas or whether it's Easter, whether it's a story we hear all the time, and whether it's a story about God's grace, which we're going to hear today, that you don't yawn, that you get reignited, that you remember where you were and what God has done for each one of you who are his kids. (laughs) It's going to be so good today. You see, Paul vividly remembers B.C., life before Christ. He does. He knew in spite of all the accolades, in spite of all the prestige, in spite of all the power he had, he knew life was empty. He knew he was chasing some dreams, and religion did not satisfy Now, today, maybe it's not religion for you. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's academics. But we chase these things, and we think that we're going to find life in them. Well, Paul had reached the pinnacle and found out it was not worth it. But then he made that trip to Damascus. Then he met Jesus. And that's probably why grace was such a big deal. It was not just something he kind of flaunted or or just accepted. It was something that was so fresh. It was something that gave him energy every single day to get up. And gave him the energy every single day to endure everything, including prison. Because the message that he had received was so big and so great and so wonderful... You see, Paul knew he was drowning, but he had been rescued. Paul was condemned, but now he was unshackled and justified. Paul was dead. We don't like that metaphor, but but he was. But now he was alive and blessed and overwhelmed by God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you could turn your Bibles or your flat screens, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at 10 verses today, where Paul proclaims four truths that literally have changed his life. I'm going to ask Sam Wilson 
to read these verses for us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's work masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's go back to verses 1, 2, and 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Remember, he's talking to believers. He's talking to these mature believers at the church of Ephesus. He said, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He, the devil, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul understood a fact, and sometimes we just forget it, but our sin and our disobedience makes us dead. As I said, some of you have been walking with God. Some of you have been redeemed a long time ago. But whether you were 4 or 40, the scriptures tell us that you were dead. You were separated from God. You were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Yes, there were some thrills. Yes, there was some short-lived fruit. But think of it this way, and you've all seen movies or films or, or even imagine this in your worst of nightmares. You stepping in quicksand. Now, if you've never been in quicksand, probably every one of you think, well, I can get out of quicksand. No big deal. Except as you try to get out of quicksand, you begin to sink lower, right? And so then you start moving as much, but you still are sinking lower. And unless somebody comes, your goose is cooked. All right? Lower and lower and lower. 
Sin was our master. And none of us want to admit this, but there's only two options. Either God is our master or sin slash Satan is our master. He's our leader. And Paul even puts a little side note and says, and by the way, he's still leading a whole lot of people, all those folks who are disobedient to God. So here we are. We grew up in our old life listening to his lives. lives. We have been deceived for years, not totally understanding the ball and chain, but experiencing it, thinking this is how life is, thinking of this is what I need to carry. This is the freedom that I get. Oh, no wonder Paul was so excited about God's grace. He had the ball and chain. He was in the quicksand. He understood, no matter what he did or how he did it, that life was not fulfilling. And on top of that, we don't often talk about this, but Paul mentions that we are all deserving of God's wrath. God's wrath. It's the vindication of God's justice. We're not deserving God's grace. We deserve to be separated. Our sin has forced God to act that way. But in your Bibles, there's a wonderful word. And again, if you mark your Bibles, you circle words in your Bibles or whatever, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5, but this is what happens. But, this is what happened. But, 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 circle that, underline it. But, God is so rich in mercy. And God, or He, loved us so much That though, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And in his love, God reaches out to the vile, the sinful, the rebellious, the depraved, the destitute, and the condemned human beings and offers them salvation and all the eternal blessings that it brings. Whoa! That's what God does. That's what God does. In the midst of our horrific condition, when we were designed for damnation, already condemned and suffering the effects of sin in our bodies and in our souls, God accomplishes a decisive rescue mission while we're sinking in the sand. God shows up. He sent Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God, to save sinners in their hopeless plight. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Gave him to die. In Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time to die for the righteous. No, sinners. We were in a bad way. Galatians 4, 5, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. It was one of the blessings that God desires deeply to not only have a relationship, but to call you and me family. Are you getting this? Do you realize how bad the situation was before we met Jesus? And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In spite of us, in spite of how we respond, in spite of how we run from God, in spite of how we malign God, in spite of our arrogance where we think we can live life without God. God says, I love you too much. I not only want you to live abundantly, but I want to spend eternity with you. You see, when Christ or Jesus was raised by God's grace, he also raised us from the dead. God saves us by grace. Now, if you look at your Bibles, you'll see the word saved. And I don't want to go and give you a Greek or an original language lesson here, but this one word just blows my mind. Again, you may not get it all, but, but I think you're going to understand this. Saved right here is a perfect passive participle. Ooh, Rick, that's so good. Like, no. But here's what it is. It further implies God's grace. Let me explain. The perfect tense expresses a completed action with continual results. We don't have this in English. So when God says he saved you, that's pretty cool. And that's wonderful. And you are now justified and you stand before God absolutely clean, all your sins taken away. But not only that, there's going to be some future results. I'm going to keep working in your life. I'm going to keep working in your life. I'm going to keep refining you. You're going to experience more and more and more and more abundant living. Oh, yeah. You cannot even begin to understand what this word salvation means. And I gave it to you because I am a gracious God. It's often called the divine passive, where God clearly is the subject who saves sinners by his gracious act. The completed action occurs the moment we were made alive with Christ at our conversion. 
Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Oh, this gets better. It just does. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, and again, I'm going to go back there, but circle so. So is so cool. So, God can point us to all the future ages as an example of his incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us. As as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. This, again, is a machine gun. And he is just blasting bullet after bullet after bullet of truth. But God raised us from the dead with Jesus, seated us with Jesus, and united us with Jesus. So, we not only are his kids, We have this intimacy with God. We don't deserve any of that. But here's what's so cool. God is also going to point to the church as trophies of his grace for eternity. Now let me explain this. When we eventually get up to heaven, all right, all kinds of heavenly beings, all kinds of different scenarios going on, but he's going to point right at your pastor. Whoa. He, Gabriel, (laughs) you want to know how gracious I am? Look at that guy. He's up here. Do you believe Rick Wager is up here? Do you know his thought life? Do you know his actions? Do you know what kind of a corrupt guy that was? He trusted me as Savior. He's a son. I have blessed him. He's adopted. And I just want you to know, you want to know how gracious I am as a God? Like a wreck. Hey, don't you laugh. Look at Rob, too. You know, and we can start naming all the names. Because that's all he's going to do. He goes, I just, I just want you to know, I am so gracious. I am the most gracious of all great. I mean, you Look, look at this person, look at this person, look at this person. Yes, all of eternity. Unbelievable. And like I said, it's only going to get better. Look at verse 8. We're going to read verse 8, 9, and 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And, as if some of you might, okay, you Ephesians, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. In verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so, circle, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. (laughs) First of all, he offers salvation as a gift. 
we get really excited about the justification part. Remember, there's three aspects of, or three facets of salvation. When you come to faith, when you recognize that you're sinful and that you need a Savior and you trust Him as your Savior, three parts of salvation. So rich, so big. The first one's called justification. We are justified. We are seen by God as totally clean people. The blood has cleansed us. That's pretty cool. But you know what's sad? So many of us just live there. Hey, I'm just really glad I'm justified. I'm going to heaven. I'll tell you why it's sad. Because God also has abundant living involved. We are also being sanctified. And it's a big term again, but it's a term that all of us ought to know and understand. We are being chipped away. We are allowing God to change the way we think to live abundantly, and to mirror Him well everywhere we go. You see, when we come to faith, well, we still have a lot of habits. There's a lot of things that don't reflect God well. But as we walk with God, He begins to clean us up from the inside out. And he chips away all of those things. You begin to talk differently. You begin to think differently. You begin to act differently. Because God is refining us. So he offers us justification so that we can have fellowship. Offers us a continual time of cleaning us up so we can enjoy all that God has and to represent him well. And eventually when we shut our eyes, and we all will, unless the Lord comes, we're going to spend the rest of eternity in glory. Or it's called glorification. So God saves us all of these aspects of salvation because of his grace, period, through our faith. We cannot take any credit for salvation. We can't. Salvation is a God-given gift which needs to be received. Salvation is not a reward for good deeds. It just isn't. And I know the understanding today of, of what God is and how he operates is, well, you know what? If I die, hopefully I've got enough good to outweigh the bad, like there's some royal scale there, you know? And most of our neighbors are just hoping, (laughs) hope I have a little bit more good, you know? Because, man, I'd sure like heaven more than I'd like hell. Yikes. How sad to live like that. How unfruitful. Wow. Salvation is not a reward for our good deeds. Simply put, and this is hard. Some of this is hard to understand, but we've been hitting some tough things since we've been in Ephesians. God initiated our salvation. He implemented implemented our salvation. And he receives all glory for it. 
In contrast, we could do nothing to start it. We can't contribute anything to it. And therefore, we can take no credit for it. No one can boast of their salvation. We can only boast of God's grace. We are saved by faith. But we appropriate this grace through... I'm sorry. We are saved by grace. But we appropriate this grace through faith. Faith simply means trust or reliance or dependence upon our God. The grace of salvation is received when God opens our eyes to the gospel. Enabling us to understand its claims and accept its promise of forgiveness for all who believe. What great news. That is the entire salvation package is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now, that alone is amazing, and that is so wonderful. But God saves us through his, by his grace through our faith so that God can unleash us. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's trophy. We're created anew in Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for his creation to do. We get to join him in the work he does. Now, although good Deeds have no part in gaining salvation. Good works have a great deal to do with living out our salvation. No good works can produce salvation, but it is the fruit that is produced by salvation. Near the end of Christ's earthly life, in John chapter 15, he said this, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. In fact, this brings great glory to the Father. This brings, this pleases God so much that we are fruitful. You see, good works don't make disciples. They show who the disciples are. That's why the early church and many of those in the church today struggle so much with the book of James. And we look at James and it almost feels like as you read these five chapters that James is saying, oh no, you've just got to work in order to obtain this amazing gift from God. Well, just remember, anything we work for can't be a gift. But with James is in tune exactly with what Paul's saying. He's just saying this. He goes, when you are saved by God's grace, you will show it. You see, when God's people do good deeds, they bear fruit which brings glory to his name, which magnifies his name. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
Paul writes this, believers are equipped for every good work. In Titus chapter 2, Jesus said this, Paul said this, Christ died to bring himself a people zealous, not even casual, zealous for good works. Now, I'm not going to beat up all of your former pastors and all of your former youth pastors and youth leaders and and whatever, but it's kind of sad to me that we focus so much on Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And we kind of forget verse 10. Because we are graced to grace. That's God's intention. Now let me wrap up today. Let me give you a big picture. We deserve death. But God gave us grace. We deserve to pay for the consequences of our sin. But grace, he showed us mercy. By grace. We deserve to experience the wrath of God. By grace, he gave us forgiveness. We deserved hell. By grace, we get to spend eternity in heaven. We deserved misery. By grace, he gave us hope. We deserved guilt and shame. By grace, he gave us glory and honor. We deserved condemnation. By grace, he gives us deliverance. You know, Paul absolutely explodes from prison talking about how wonderful and gracious God is. In these 10 verses, he has shared how humanity is spiritually dead and deserves God's anger, including himself. But 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 God, in his marvelous grace and mercy, has provided salvation through faith. And he also explains that believers are God's masterpieces in whom and through whom he performs his good works that he has already in advance prepared. That's the whole theme of Ephesians. When we understand how much God has graced us in chapters 1 to 3, we will be blown away and grace others by the way that we live. Can we bow our heads? You know, I often don't do this. But I was overwhelmed this week by how much God loved me and what he gave me. I know there are some folks right here, right today, who are struggling with that message, struggling on whether you want to receive it. 
struggling on whether you want to trust Christ as your Savior, the person to pull you out of the quicksand. I know some of you feel you don't deserve it, but you're right, none of us do. But I would ask even today, if I could personally go up to you, if I could, if I could look you right in the eyes and say, would you please... Would you please receive the gift of salvation that God desires deeply for each one of you to have? Please don't leave today. Please don't think about it more. Today is a day of salvation. When we're done with our service, I'd love to talk with you more. We've got some elders around and they have their name tags on and you can go talk to any one of them. You can come right up in the front row and and we'll have our prayer team able to pray with you and walk with you. But please, please hear how gracious of a God we have and how he desires deeply for you to experience life today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I thank you for the way Paul was just overwhelmed by your grace. His conversation, his letters always leaked grace. He talked about the times without apology when he was dead and how when he came to you, he is now alive. God, it's by your grace that we are saved. And it's by your grace that we get to partner with you as your workmanship in our world. That's what the body is. We get to go in every nook and cranny representing, pointing, representing you and pointing people to you, Jesus. We pray that happens. We pray even today, Father, that someone would pass from death to life that they would trust you and that they would leave this place as a new creation. We ask that today, Father, you would work so mightily. We love you. In Jesus' name.